Good morning. Good morning. I just give all the glory and praise to God for that wonderful praise and worship. Thank you, team, for using your talents and blessing us and leading us to his throne. Wasn't it good to see the students up the front? Yes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you are here for the very first time, we welcome you to the Haven Campus Church. Uh, if you're visiting, we welcome you. Here at the Haven Campus Church, we exist for the school, CCAS. We're here to serve the school, the staff, the, the students, and their extended family. And we're just trying to build this place, so a place where it's friendly for unchurched people. So if you've never been to church before, if you're new to faith, or you've got questions about God or questions about faith, that's okay. We welcome you here today. Uh, for those that are regular here, it's good to have you. Uh, we have, um, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, we have begun a, a, um, a sermon series. Adrian, can I just get you to face that fan? It's just blowing my paper. <laughs> Thanks, brother. For those that haven't been here for the last few weeks, we have been in a series called Breaking Bad. Um, one of the terminologies that my non-church or unchurch friends coined, which was, hey, if that's not good, they'll tell you to break bad from that. And they'll tell you to remove yourself from that. And so I came up with this... Um, this series which is just aiming to challenge the culture of the church. And so there's been two sermons that have been previously um, presented. They are available on our website, havencampus.church, or also available on our iTunes, Haven Campus Church. Um, so please, if you want to catch up, you can, you can catch up there. Today we're looking at part three of this series, and the title is Simply Vomit. Everyone say Simply Vomit. It's, the not, it's not the most attractive name, but you, as, I, as I move along, it will become clear what I am trying to get across. But before we move forward, I would like to invite you to bow your heads as I lead us in the word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, Jesus, your only Son, and eternal Spirit, Father, here we go again. I can feel your embrace and I know your presence is here. And so, Father, as I get ready to present to your people, fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Rid me of me and fill me with you so that you can lead me, guide me, and walk before me. And I shall follow in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Last week, we looked at simply love. And the big idea that we had from last week was the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And this was written by a man that, was, that hated Jesus followers and he, he would hunt them down. He would persecute these Jesus followers. And then he became a Jesus follower himself. And his name is the Apostle Paul. And there's no... The Apostle Paul was probably one of the top legalists that we, we find in Scripture. This guy knew the law inside out. But then he has a confrontation or he has a meeting with Jesus Christ and he's changed. He goes from Saul to Paul. And in the book of Galatians, as we unpacked last week, his big idea that he gets across is, as this, he was a past legalist, was the only thing that counts 
is faith expressing itself in love. And so last week we looked at a lot of texts because um, the tension between law and grace came up. And so we needed to try and, and get an understanding on what law and grace and how they interact with each other. And so there was a lot of texts we went through last week. This week I've only got one text simply because the direction and, and the journey for us today is for me to give us a historical overview of why the church culture is the way that it is today. And so the one verse that I have for us to look at um, is Proverbs 26, 11. And it says this, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. As I was sharing my, uh, my sermon direction with uh, my, my boys, uh, Antoine and Damon, and, and the best thing that they found from the sermon was the word uh, vomit. And uh, they were like, this is going to be a cool sermon, Dad. And I said, why? Said, it's got vomit in it. And I was like, okay. So it's going to work? You reckon this is a good sermon to preach? Yeah, Dad, it's got vomit. I was like, okay, all right. So you're going to get vomit today, church. <laughs> As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. The big idea that I want you to walk away with after this presentation is simply two words. And it's this. As it slowly makes its way. Love lost. We've taken two weeks to build up that Jesus, he came to establish a new movement. It cost him his life. And he built this new movement on one verb, love. And this this one verb had three applications. To love God, love one another, and love your enemies. And somehow along the line, we we got it missed it. We we missed it. We got it twisted. And so today I want to present to you the big idea is love lost. One of the good things about uh, Christianity, when you look at these ancient literature of how the pagans view Christianity, it's some really good reading. And so these pagans that weren't church people, they, they would have this, this part of their culture where if they had too many daughters and they, had a, and they gave birth to another daughter, they, they could actually take that baby girl, put her on the street and leave her to die. Or if the baby was born that had a little bit of uh, deformity or defect or disability, that the pagans would take these babies and put them on the street. And the culture of this day was, as a pagan, I could walk down the street, see a baby crying, that, that has been left out. And that was normal for me as a, as a pagan. And so what these pagans were, were, what blew their minds about the Christian movement, the Jesus movement that was motivated by love, was that these Christians would go out and pick up these babies and love these babies as if they were their own. I mean, the pagans couldn't understand this. I mean, why would they do this? And so the other thing that blew these pagans' minds was that the, the Christian, the part of the Jesus movement, guys, they wouldn't only care for their poor, but they would care for the poor of the pagans. And the pagans were just blown away by the, by the behavior of these Jesus followers in this new Jesus movement, motivated by one verb, love, with three applications, to love God, love one another, and love your enemies. And then these Christians will share their wealth I mean, what kind of person would behave in this way? Where somebody would do it tough and then the Christians would sell property in order for, to help someone that was doing it tough. These pagans, again, were looking at this behavior and going, who are these people? 
They would look at these Christians and be blown away about how these Christians would literally love one another. And how they forgave one another. Because in their culture, the pagan culture, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But these Christians were forgiving one another. But the one thing that stood out for these pagans was how these Christians were not afraid of death. And the reason why they weren't afraid of death was because of the resurrected Jesus. He only resurrected not too long ago. And so they had this hope that if Jesus could beat death and we believe in him, then we too could beat death. And so these pagans were just blown away at these Christians at at this first century. And uh, one of the remarkable things was there was no Bible at this time. And so these Christians to believe in God and to maintain their faith in God is really something admirable. But these Jesus followers, these Jesus movement, they understood a critical component about the Jesus movement. That it wasn't about a building anymore. It was about portable temples being in community with other portable temples. And then something extraordinary happened. It was almost like God had to step in and remind the church that it wasn't about the building. And so in AD 70, the temple is destroyed. And it's almost like God was just saying, guys, church, it's no longer about a building. You're the temple. I'm in you. That's the mystery. You are more important to me than any building, any soil, any dirt. And then, for the first 300 years, this Christian movement, this Jesus movement that was motivated by one verb, love, grew for almost 300 years. And they spread the gospel throughout the world. Until October 28, 312, when Emperor Constantine comes into power. You see, he was only a co-emperor with Maxinius. And so Maxinius and, and Constantine, they said, hey, let's have a battle to see who will be the supreme ruler of the Roman Empire. And so they decided to have this battle. And as Constantine was on his way to battle, he has this, this, this vision where he sees a cross. And then some say that he heard it, some say that he saw it. But he sees these words that say, in this sign, conquer. And so Constantine goes to his army and he puts crosses all over his soldier's shield. And he goes into battle and he wins. And now the Christians hailed him as a conqueror. And Constantine, this emperor, his, his faith in this one true God begins to deepen. And then we know that the Holy Roman Empire is birthed. But this term is not coined until the 13th century. But one thing we can point out is that this, under Constantine, it was more empire than it was holy. And now the cross became an important Christian symbol. A year later, Constantine legalizes Christianity. And he pours a lot of money into the church. And because of Constantine, the bishops and the priests, their status is now elevated. He now gives money to those families that take in uh, orphans. He now gives rights to the children. He, he builds churches. Anywhere there's a martyr that he finds out that a martyr was killed, he built a church. And so Christianity didn't have to pay taxes. And so now the rich became Christians because it paid to be a Christian, right? So they declared their land, you know, for God and the use for, for church so that they could beat the tax system. And so just overnight almost, Christianity goes from a persecuted minority to a favored 
majority under Constantine. And now Christianity becomes inseparable with the empire. And before we knew it, Christianity went back to its vomit. And we went back to this whole church building mentality where it's all about sacred places with sacred scrolls, with sacred men, always men, never women. But we're not going to behave in that way at this church. Women are preaching at our pulpit. Sold out followers. We just went back to the old. And then during this time, there was a major controversy. You may or you may not know it. It was called the Arian controversy. And so Arius from Alexander, he believed that Jesus was not born God. So he had this idea that Jesus was born human. And then it wasn't until he became an adult that his divinity was then conferred to him as a reward for his faith in God. And so Athanasius, he runs the charge against him. And so Constantine is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I don't want a division in my church. So Constantine calls a, the first council meeting to sort this, this um, confrontation out. And so if the emperor invites you to a meeting, everyone's going to be nice. It's not like our business meetings. Right? If I invite you to the business, you don't have to be nice. You can stab me from the back or the front. But in the emperor's time, you wouldn't dare do that. Right? Because he's the emperor. He could kill you. So everyone had to be nice. But at this meeting, um, Athanasius, he wins. He, he convinces everybody that Jesus was born God. He was 100% God at birth, 100% man. And so the people left divided. And then something significant happened. The emperor Constantine sent out an order. And I hereby make a public order that if someone should be discovered to have hidden a writing composed by Arius and not to have immediately brought it forward and destroyed it by fire, his penalty shall be death. And for the very first time, a theological division was punishable by death. Suddenly the church became creedal. The problem with creeds is there's no mention about love. And the other problem with creeds is you can subscribe to a creed and behave however you want to behave. And the reason why that was the way it was was because it was instituted and signed off by the emperor himself who always behaved badly. And the church leaders that had to construct the creed were funded by the emperor so they had to be careful what they put into the creed. And so now these sacred men, these priests and these bishops and the Pope became the sacred men and the gatekeepers to heaven and hell. Now these sacred men, these pastors if you like, were the ones that determined who got to go to heaven, who got to go to hell and even a halfway point of purgatory. They could actually withhold communion, they could withhold baptism, they could withhold, um, they could actually institute excommunication. And suddenly the Pope and the bishops and the priests had more power. And so the kings and the lords and the, and the people that own land were afraid of these religious men. And then we head to the 11th century. The Christian Crusades, where they had the first successful crusades under, the, under Pope Urban II. 
Pope Urban II, he says to these soldiers, if you go to these crusades, all your sins will be forgiven. And so off these Christians went in the name of God, and they began to rape and pillage all the way from Europe to the Holy Land. And the reason why they could behave in this way was because the Pope said that all their sins would be forgiven. So they had the assurance of forgiveness from the Pope. And then they arrived to the Holy Land in Jerusalem. And then they thought, hold on a second. These are the people that killed our Lord and Savior. Let's kill them. And so now Jewish men, women and children were being murdered all across Europe. And so now birth anti-Semitism. All in the name of God. And these crusaders said, hey, God wills it. Let's take Jerusalem. And so they take Jerusalem. But then a hundred years later, maybe God didn't will it because Saladin wins it back. But again, Christianity goes back to its vomit. Where it's all about church buildings. It's not about the people. It's about sacred places where sacred scriptures and sacred men And sold out followers. And for the new movement that Jesus established. Ran for almost 300 years. It was almost lost. And then God sends his light during the reformation in 1517. A guy, Martin Luther. He looks at the scripture. And he looks at the way the church is behaving. And he begins to protest. Hence the name Protestants. And he begins to protest and say. These guys that have all this power. They don't have the power and authority. To choose who gets to go to heaven. Who goes to hell. Or who goes to purgatory. And he begins this protest. And a few solas come out of this. Sola fide. Which is salvation by faith alone. Sola scriptura. Which is, the Bible is the only authority. And he begins this protest. And so in the Reformation, all they wanted to do was put the Bible in the hands of the people. Because the papal authority, they were hiding the Bible. And if you were caught with the Bible, you would be persecuted or even killed. And so the Protestants, they wanted to put this in the hands of the, of the people. Because Martin Luther, he said, a simple layman armed with scripture is greater than the mightiest pope without it. Or a simple layman armed with scripture is greater than the mightiest pastor without it. And then the light comes to the Protestants. And you would think that we would just have one church out of the Protestant movement. But there's two and then there's 15 and there's hundreds. And, and today there's thousands of expressions of Protestantism. Do you think what separated us was because some loved differently than others? It was our interpretation of scripture. And now the Bible was in the hands of the Protestants. And what did we do with it? The Bible in the hands of the Protestants became the same thing the papal authority was before. The Bible became a weapon. The Protestants took this book that was to bring life and began to beat people with it. And we've been beating people over the head with this book since we've launched. A book that was meant to set us free, to draw us closer to the beautiful, loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And when God entrusted this wonderful book to us, we used it as a weapon. And then we, or two, as Protestants, we went back to our vomit. 
And it was all about church buildings again. It was all about sacred places with sacred scrolls, sacred men. It's never women with sold out followers. And the sad thing is, love lost. Love's gone. And the one thing that Jesus Christ said that his movement, that people would know that he exists, was the way that we would love one another. Proverbs 26, 11 says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. I changed the word up a bit, the Nimrod Standard Version. As a church returns to its vomit, so a church repeats its foolishness. Last week, I compared the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church. And that we as a church, as a community of faith, we're going to Antioch. Now you're probably thinking, man, that was really cool name. I love that presentation, but uh, it doesn't really, you know, it's not for me. Well, let me just unpack this a little bit. If you've ever, have you ever been more concerned or felt guilty about not going to church than about the bad behavior or how you treat others at work? If you felt more guilty not coming to church than how you treat people at work, that's Jerusalem thinking. Because in Antioch, it's always about other people. Have you ever gone to do something on the Sabbath and then stopped and went, oh, is, is this allowed? Am I allowed? Uh, or you go, you go to a church picnic and some other family that are okay playing cricket or kicking a ball around and your kid goes running over and you're like, hey, little Johnny, come back, don't break the soup. <laughs> yeah, does that, ha- does that ever happen to you? It's Jerusalem thinking. It's not Antioch. Have you ever thought to ask the question, well, pastor, where's the line of sin? How far is it before I sin? For example, let's say commit adultery. Uh, if, if I'm married and I go out to lunch with a, a, another woman that's not my wife, is that committing adultery? What, what if I was just to have a, a drink with her? Is that committing adultery? That's Jerusalem thinking. Because the reason why you're trying to find a line to sin is because you think God is an idiot. Let me illustrate it this way. Justin Lawman, our president, he shares this story and I love it. A man is up the top of the mountain and he's got a horse and carriage and he wants to get down the mountain. And so he interviews three drivers to get him down. The first driver comes down and says, I can get you down the mountain. Yep, and I can go all the way down six feet from the edge. The next driver says, hey, I'm better driver than him. I can get you all the way down three feet from the edge. The last guy comes in, he goes, well, I don't know if I'm the better driver, but I can get you down the mountain, but I'm going to stay all the way over here next to the mountain. Who do you think got the job? This guy. You know why? Because in Antioch, you don't want to know where the line is. You just want to desire to be in the presence of God, to ask God, God, put your Lord, put your statutes in my heart so I may not sin against you. That's Antioch. Jerusalem, you want to know where the line is. Have you ever seen someone else sin and it enlisted some feelings of syrup, uh, super, so, what's the, what am I trying to say? So yeah, that word. 
Have you ever seen that? A friend of mine, he was talking about another man that had kids who, teenage daughter just got pregnant, son is addicted to drugs, and he loved it. He thought, look at this guy, this so-called good Christian guy, and look at his kids, they're just falling by the wayside. And my heart's breaking about this story, and I turn to this guy that's telling me this, and I'm wondering, why is he sharing this with such delight? And then I realized, his kids have fallen by the wayside. And so he just loves that another man's kids are falling by the wayside. That's Jerusalem. Antioch, that father would go sit with that other father and say, Hey man, talk to me. What's going on? And he would listen. He would be quiet. And at the end, they would embrace. And they would keep each other accountable to just love their children. Continuously, without judgment. So if you've ever had any feelings about Jerusalem, then you've been affected by the institution. And there's a lot for you to get out of that in order for you to move into Antioch in this new movement that Jesus established. What now? What do we do about it? Now that God's entrusted us to his work, now that God's entrusted us to a specific message that we have to get out, Now that God has entrusted us to share the gospel and to to tell people about this wonderful Savior. What now? What do we do? The first thing is that we need to face reality that what we do between 9 and quarter past 12 is not going to help us to reach the impossible. What we do between 9 and quarter past 12 is not going to help us with the impossible. If everything we do as a church community begins and ends with what we do on God's Sabbath, we've got no chance of having better marriages, thriving families, learning our Bible. We've got no chance. If all that we do begins and ends with what we do on Saturday between 9 to quarter past 12, If you look at the created order, you got Jesus who who creates the world. Day one through to day six, there's a seal. There was evening and there was morning. There's a seal except for one day, Saturday, God's Sabbath. Because on that day, there was blessings and anointing that would pour out that meant to be filtered in during the rest of the week. And if all we have is just this worship space, we got no chance meeting the impossible. And so in term two, we launch team nights on Monday nights. We launch small groups Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday will be available for young people to do their ministry. Why? Because we want to move to Antioch. And we want to take away the focus that this is everything that we do. This is not everything we do. It's just a part of what we do. When it comes to Christianity, sometimes our desire for something deeper means we don't get the basics. So a good start for us, church, is to be a praying community. To spend time in prayer together. Earnestly praying for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A good start for us 
It's just to find a small group that we can dive into the word of God together. A good start for us is just to constantly pray and petition for the Holy Spirit to fill us and guide us as we move forward in our ways. But some of us need to pray for God to lead us. This last song, as they come up to sing it, is a reminder that worship is not just about music, although historically that has been for us. And I want to change that, because worship is more than that. And this, so- this song is a reminder that what happens up here is not going to be pleasing to God if, the- if it doesn't filter in during our week. And this song is a reminder that worship is more than what we do on a Saturday morning from 9 to quarter past 12. Now, you're probably thinking, well, I don't want to be part of a small group. That's okay. We'll be moving forward. We're going to Antioch. We want to fulfill God's commission and spreading the gospel to where he's entrusted it to us, CCAS. That's where we're going. And when we're on our way there, we will have thriving marriages. We will shut the back door to our young people. We will be better parents. We will know our Bible. We will know our calling. And we will surrender to God. And we will love one another. And we will forgive one another. We will. Because we're going to Antioch where we're going to be a part of this Jesus movement that's moved by one verb, love, with three applications. To love God, to love one another, and to love our enemies. That's where we're going. So as you sing this song, historically, we've all been about this. Today, that ends. We're not all about this worship. We are going to be all about being the gospel-centered church that prays, that repents, and spreads the gospel, asking God to fill us with the Holy Spirit from today. That's where we're going, church. That's where we're going. If you are a first-time guest or visiting with us, you don't have to. You can sit on your seats. But if you are a Haven member or you've been coming to the Haven Church, then I want to invite you to kneel. And let's surrender ourselves as I lead us in prayer. Let's, let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, Jesus, your only Son, and eternal Spirit. Father, we too return to our vomit. And we made it about this building with sacred men interpreting sacred scriptures. Never women with sold out followers. But Lord, you didn't come to build a static church. You came to build a movement. A movement that you established with your son Jesus Christ that was motivated by love. Love for you, love for one another, and love for our enemies. How do we get it wrong? 
Father, forgive us for being bad stewards with your church. Forgive us for forgetting the gospel. Forgive us for making worship a minute part in music. Forgive us for being unloving. Forgive us for being unchristian. But Father, I know why you sent me here. And I pray now that you will fill your people that care for your church with your Holy Spirit. From this day forward, Lord, we will be better at taking care of those that you entrust to us, our first-time guests, our visitors, every week, Lord, from here on in. We will be better at following them up to ensure that they can find community, to be able to find hope and salvation in, the, in Jesus Christ. Lord, we will get better at making worship far more wider than what we do on a Saturday morning. Lord, we will get better at caring for one another. Lord, we will get better at loving and forgiving one another. Lord, we will get better at loving and taking an interest in our young people so we can block up that door. Lord, we will get better at loving our husband or loving our wife. Lord, we will get better at parenting our children in this tough digital age. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. And we petition that you will take us and you will fill this place and fill us and everywhere that we go with your presence. Send us your Holy Spirit each and every day so that every single life will be a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're going to come with you. We're coming to Antioch. We're coming. Continue to send those that you need to send to here. And we will spread your gospel. And we will baptize them into your kingdom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is our prayer. I pray in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen.